Hello and welcome to Locked on NHL, your daily source for all of the news, notes, and stories across the National Hockey League. I'm C. Morley, Managing Editor of Fear the Fen, and with me today I have... Justin Morissette of uh, Locked on Canucks and Sportsnet 650 Radio in Vancouver. And we are going to be breaking down the Western Conference every single Wednesday. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is Western Conference Wednesdays. And uh, see, we have a lot of catching up to do, given that this is our first show together of the season. It feels kind of right that we could just sort of talk about everything that's gone on thus far this year and not just, you know, over the course of the week. So uh, I feel like there's lots to talk about. Yeah, Uh I think this season has been just surprising all across the board, but the Western Conference has like so many storylines that are just so so interesting and a lot of teams doing better than expected and also a lot of teams that are not living up to expectations. So it's it's definitely interesting on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on what your expectations were, right? Should we just start by kind of looking over the standings and, and picking our, our uh, disappointments and surprises thus far? Is that the best place to start this thing? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, disappointments is definitely a fun one because both teams that I, I follow closely are at the bottom of their respective uh, divisions. So, <laughs> oops. <laughs> That is the the San Jose Sharks are last place in the Pacific right now. And then the Minnesota Wild are last place in the Central. So I'm not having a good time as a hockey fan right now. <laughs> Minnesota Wild, in fact, last place in the entire Western Conference. And I guess it depends on, like I said, what your expectations were of these teams. Because I'll be honest, I didn't expect uh, Minnesota to be a world beater by any stretch. But I also kind of had them pegged for middle of the pack, right? Is that about fair for where your expectations were coming into the year as well? Yeah, I mean, they obviously did a lot with their roster that, uh, you know, last year's trade deadline and then in the offseason that were not moves that necessarily improved them. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't come think on. You can trade. You could trade both Charlie Coyle and, you know, Nita Ryder and walk away with a better team. But, I, you know, they've still got... Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench and I think he is a very good coach and I think he is fit in that organization really well and there's still a lot of their top end talent that you know is still on the team and I expected them to be on the the fringe but I did not expect them to be at the bottom and maybe that's my fault for having any bit of optimism but uh, that's what I had in terms of expectations. So yeah, they, they are not living up to that. Not at all. I mean, that's probably a fair place to expect them to be though. Uh, at the same time, you're right. The, those moves that were made uh, throughout last year, like, Paul Fenton did a lot of damage here that's going to take some time to recover from. You cannot give yes. away the players that they gave away. And and gave away is not being, uh, you know, unkind to those trades. They really just handed these players away, especially the Charlie Coyle trade. Like, even yeah. as an outsider who doesn't follow the Wild, like, it seemed like that guy was, you know, one of the more noticeable players every single time that the, the, I, I watch Minnesota. Uh, which is usually when the Canucks are playing them. But, like, 
Damage has been done, like I said, and it will take yes. uh, some time to recover from this. I know that Bill Guerin came in promising what every new general manager promises so that they get the job ultimately out of their interview, which is that <laughs> this team is, is in good shape and I can turn this thing around in a hurry. Uh, he's not going to be able to do that, as I think he has already discovered. No, and, you know, recently the Wild failed to sell out, I believe, for the first time since, oh gosh, I can't remember off the time I had, I want to say it's 2014, I might be wrong on that, but it's going to have an effect on the, the organization as a whole, it is going to take a long time to recover from the, the Fenton year, <laughs> the year of Fenton that was, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, just, I can't believe the the... The return for Nino Niederreiter, too, just blows my mind. The, the Rask, I mean, that alone is just such a baffling move. And, I, yeah, I just, I can't say, see an easy way out for this organization right now. I mean, I would imagine that most people who are listening to this show probably already have an athletic subscription. But if they do not, I strongly recommend the deep dive that The Athletic published a couple months ago that really goes over in a fine-tooth comb every single thing that Paul Fenton did while he was the general manager of the Minnesota Wild because it includes details like the fact that uh, before trading for Victor Rask, the Minnesota Wild did not scout him as a player one single time. Nope. Not once. Yep. Carolina came and yeah. took a look at Nino Niederreiter ten times. They did not go and scout Victor Rask once. So yeah. Uh, it, at the same time, as we record this this evening, see, they are coming off of a 3-0 shutout victory over the Edmonton Oilers, just the second regulation loss for Edmonton this year. If Minnesota is one of our big disappointments out of the gate, then I think it's safe to say Edmonton is one of the big surprises. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think anyone had them penciled in uh, at the top of the Pacific. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's Maybe it's just the James Neal effect. <laughs> maybe he really is just that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes to the whole Neal thing makes me wonder about uh, just how likely it is that, you know, a, a player can sign a deal and have things go terribly for them. And it's all about the fit with the coach and not necessarily where the player is at because it really seems like James Neal and Bill Peters just did not get along in Calgary at all from the moment he arrived there. And you have to think that, you know, this guy's been a prolific goal scorer his entire career going all the way back to his days in Dallas. Uh, at the same time, I'm kind of one of those people who bought in last year on the narrative that maybe he's just done because... It was hard to look at what he was doing and the just general disinterest that he showed in being an NHL player and think, oh, yeah, this guy's still got all the skills that he could turn it around. No problem. Yeah, I I don't know necessarily that I thought he was cooked, but I did think that that Neil was going to be on the downswing. And I think that, you know, as much as you you can't discount that kind of player coach chemistry too there's also I mean there's just player chemistry in general and I think a lot of teams are experiencing that this is something I talked about on the Monday show and I've talked about it quite a bit on Locked on Sharks that you know teams are learning now that this was a really busy free agency it was a really busy offseason in general it was a busy uh, trade deadline last year the NHL right now team makeups look completely different and teams are learning that like you can't take 
chemistry between players for granted. And I think Edmonton has found something that clicks. I don't know necessarily that I've bought into the idea that this is going to be any kind of permanent success. I mean, obviously they just lost to Minnesota. (laughs) There are still things going on there that, um, that they need to work on, but that, that there's definitely something, there's some weight to the, the idea that chemistry is going to be important and um, that, you know, all of these teams that have made all of these big trades are, are going to have to confront that at some point. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I don't want to read too much into Edmonton's early success because they've done this before. It's like yeah. the classic <laughs> Oilers thing to look at their team in like first place come Canadian Thanksgiving or, you know, around this time. I guess Canadian Thanksgiving is pretty early in the NHL season. It (laughs) might be American Thanksgiving that I'm thinking of. Uh, They're first place after like a month and a half, and then they go on to bomb out the rest of the season. You've seen that time and time again over the course of the last decade plus, as Oilers fans continually want to convince themselves that this is the year that it could be different. At the same time, it could be different this year because Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is Leon Dreisaitl. And when you have a team that has those two players, you should not be as bad as they have been <laughs> over the last yeah. several years. Like, it makes no sense that the team... I mean, it makes a ton of sense when you look at the moves that Peter Chiarelli made, but but with that... <laughs> Still, with just those two guys, you'd think that there should be something here. And I think the big difference with this team this season is structure because Dave Tippett has them playing within their means quite a bit. And uh, and that is, you know, even even Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are not being asked uh, to go hard aggressively offensively all the time. Uh, in, in the game that the Canucks played against them very early in the season, you'd see McDavid jump in, take a shot and not even pursuing his own rebound opportunity. Once the puck was off his stick, if he was the only guy in the offensive end, he was going to peel back into the neutral zone because this is a team that is built sort of to trap, which you hate to say when they have the (laughs) offensive personnel that they do, but that's the way Dave Tippett coaches. And with this roster, that's probably going to be the way that he finds success. I think too, I mean, there was talk uh, at the end of last season about needing a culture change in Edmonton. And I don't know how far necessarily they've gone in terms of that, but I think that some of the front office changes that they've made are a step in the right direction for, for that organization. So, uh, you know, I hope on a personal level, I obviously, um, <laughs> as a Sharks fan, I, ha- I have a hard time saying, yeah, I want Edmonton to succeed. But as a sometimes suffering sports fan, I I do hope that their fans can at least enjoy this little bit of success, whether it continues or not. You know, it's still an exciting time in Edmonton for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got heavy into hockey in my teen years when Mark Crawford was coaching the Canucks and um, McTavish was coaching the Oilers and it was two teams playing a pretty high energy, fast run and gun style head to head against each other. That's the brand of hockey that made me a fan of the sport. Do I want to see the Oilers succeed personally? No, probably not. Do I want to see them be a fun (laughs) team though again, especially a team that's in my division that I have to watch the Canucks play time after time throughout the year? Yeah, it probably would be good for the game. And it would probably be good for the game if Connor McDavid uh, had a little pep in his step and did not look like the most demoralized, depressed individual in the world <laughs> every single time a camera and a microphone got put in front of him, right? Like, Yeah, uh, absolutely. Th- th- this is one of the marquee players in the league, which goes without saying, but <laughs> he could be a marquee personality as well. I don't know that he's... 
uh, ever going to be, uh, you know, the uh, the star of the show as far as personality goes. But, you know, <laughs> it seems like for the last year, every piece of footage that I see from Connor McDavid is like, oh, boy, we got to get our boy just uh, <laughs> just a long way from that town. It is sucking the life out of him. I mean, the poor boy was wearing a shoelace as a belt. <laughs> That's a that's a depression outfit. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the Oilers are one of our positive surprises, let's swing back down to the bottom of the standings, shall we again, see? Because I think you might be able to provide a little bit of insight on the Dallas Stars. Look, I don't think anyone's surprised that Chicago is in the basement of the Western Conference again, so I think we can breeze over them. But there was some excitement around Dallas over this offseason. They picked up a bunch of UFAs. They were loading up. They still have something of a promising core that looked like it was on fire down the stretch in the back half of last season. Could they keep that momentum going with their new additions? Listener, the answer is no. No, they could not. Pretty sad yeah. start to the year in Big D. Yeah, and it, it's wild because it seems like they addressed the actual issues that they had, that they needed more scoring depth. They went out and they got more scoring depth. They got Joe Pavelski. They got Corey Perry. And yeah, granted, those are two players who are a little bit older, and it's a bit of a risk on on taking those players on, um, especially, you know, giving Joe Pavelski that three-year contract. But at the same time, they're... The, it seemed like players that you could see fitting into Dallas's lineup and making an impact, and it 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 made sense. And somehow it just hasn't started clicking yet. And um, I don't know if that's just due to all of the injuries that they've had in their lineup that they're trying to to piece together something without all of the pieces ready, <laughs> you know, or what. But it, it is hard because it's it's. I mean, this is a team that everyone was expecting to to have a big bounce back year, and it just hasn't panned out. I don't know. Maybe not everyone. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe not maybe. me. Okay, a lot of people. <laughs> um, but but it's the only reason that I might think that though, like, look, you're right. I understand that they have some real quality pieces. They have two exceptional forwards up front obviously in Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan Miro Heiskanen is a hell of a defenseman but I don't see a lot of elite pieces there there's quality on their forward core certainly but the pieces that they went out and got in free agency are super old like as a Sharks fan was it upsetting for you to see uh Joe Pavelski leave San Jose or was it you know kind of right because yeah, it, to me, it felt like this team loaded up to take a run at the 2014 Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, the the thing with Pavelski is that we knew in like September, October that there had been no contract talks at all. And so it was something that over the last year we could kind of f- feel building. And I think by April even we knew that... I, it's the more certain it seemed that Eric Carlson was going to resign with San Jose, the more certain we were that Joe Pavelski would be leaving in free agency, that there just wouldn't be room for both. And so coming to terms with Pavelski leaving was a, a little easier um, in terms of him going to Dallas. That was it was a little weird. And um, the funny thing is that Dallas is one of the first teams that I actually really paid attention to in the NHL. So <laughs> for me, it's like. Oh, well, at least he's on a team that, like, I can kind of, like, 
care about, I guess. But I don't know. I I think it made sense to me for him to go to Dallas. I thought that he could fit into that organization pretty well. And um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, my brain just shut off. <laughs> uh, well, well, let me ask you this then. If there was room, say hypothetically, the San Jose Sharks had the room to hang on to Joe Pavelski at the rate that the stars went out and paid him. Would you want them to have done that? Because it seems like he's at that stage in his career, like when Patrick Marlowe went to the Leafs, you know, might not be as old as Marlowe was at that time, but not far off either. Uh, You know, that like this is the guy's last big contract. He's going to go out and get paid. And if he's going to get that money, it probably shouldn't be from San Jose. Yeah, I. I think if they could keep them both looking at how the Sharks have started their season, because that is certainly a topic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Part of me wants to say yes, that sure. I mean, obviously San Jose is missing his offense that you can't deny that, that San Jose has had a problem with their lineup, um, especially up front clicking. And something I talked about actually on the site, one of the first things I wrote this season was about Doug Wilson having the right regrets. And I want to to look at this offseason and, you know, there are so many questions about did they make the right decision in letting this player walk or, you know, they lost Jonas Donskoy, they lost Nyquist, and they signed Eric Carlson to a very large contract knowing that that was going to limit them in the future. And And Doug Wilson looking at that, I want him to have the right regrets. I think ultimately when we get to the end of this Pavelski contract, will that be the right regret? I think so. Right now it is kind of hard. Because you're looking at a Sharks team that is underperforming and a guy like Pavelski, his impact, especially on the power play. I mean, he his net front presence is unreal. It is. I, I want to say it's unparalleled, but obviously there are really, really good players in this league. But that's just a little bit of Sharks fan bias. <laughs> uh, I just his net front presence is is really hard to replace and really hard to replicate. And I think the actually the addition of Patrick Marlowe has helped them in that regard. But yeah, right now when we're in the thick of the sharks, just tanking and being in the bottom of the Pacific, they are literally the last team right now. It is hard to say that I, uh, I don't think that the sharks are going to, um, or that the sharks won't regret that decision. But, um, Ultimately, in terms of the Sharks' future, it was the best move. Well, we keep looking at the top of the standings or the bottom. Why don't we go right to the very middle right now, see where (laughs) the defending Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues, through nine games, find themselves with a 4-2-3 record and a minus three goal differential on the season to this point. It has not been a strong start for St. Louis Is this what they are, or are they just experiencing a little bit of a Stanley Cup hangover to start the year? (laughs) I mean, my thing about the Blues is that I always felt that they just got right. They got hot at the right time last year. And, uh, you know, it is. I will say that they had the most skilled lineup that they've had in years last year. And I think that this is... uh, I don't think necessarily that their their roster is still constructed in a way that is going to continue to make them competitive. And, you know, I've never been high on the Blues. I Good for them last year, but I, I just think that it was a little bit of luck compared, you know, to, to some of the other teams. And 
I um I'm not sold on them. <laughs> I I am right there with you. Even as they were hoisting the Stanley Cup last year, I was sort of just like all I could think of in my mind and all I think of with the Blues still even today is the team that was so bad to start the year last year that Vancouver pummeled them on home ice. I can't even remember what the score was like eight to one or something like that. Just thumped them so bad that they had an enormous brawl between like their own players. They were fighting each other in practice the very next day because of how badly they had performed against uh, uh, the Canucks the day before. And look at the time, the Canucks, we're not much to write home about. So that goes even further as to how embarrassing that loss was for him. And hey, maybe it sparked the entire turnaround. Maybe those fights in practice are what helped them uh, come together as a team and win the cup in the end. But yes, I've never really been convinced that this group was like the world beating dominant performers uh, they've been sold as. They had a hot goalie and they have a heavy roster, which does lend itself well to the way playoff hockey is played. But you also need a, a balance because that roster needs to get to the postseason in the first place. And I'm not sure yeah. that uh, the the style that they wanted to play in the, in the postseason last year is necessarily conducive to regular season success in the same way. I feel kind of vindicated right now because I've been right. waving this flag <laughs> that like, yeah, they won the cup, but I don't still don't think they're that good and so far uh they haven't been necessarily all that great yeah i mean this is also coming from someone who was watching as a sharks fan in playoffs last year but you know it it was kind of frustrating to to know that this was one of the more talented rosters that they had had and they were still resorting to a lot of their old ways in in terms of you know kind of re- relying on physicality and you know, they took out a lot of Sharks players <laughs> in that series. Uh, and and so I just don't think that the long-term success um, that that model has been built in St. Louis. Another surprise team that's right there on the positive end of being in the middle, sort of, somewhat. They're sixth in the Western Conference right now. It's the Arizona Coyotes. And see, I honestly can't even believe my eyes as I'm looking at the standings here. Like, there must be some mistake that Arizona is in sixth and, uh, you know, teams like San Jose and Dallas are, are, are where they are because this seems like one of the more unheralded stories in the league right now that the Coyotes have had a strong start. I know there were a bunch of people picking them to have a rebound year coming into this season. I was not necessarily convinced just because I'm never convinced about anything going positively for the Arizona Coyotes, but uh, (laughs) I really have no idea how they're doing this to start the year. What a start for Arizona, and I guess their latest addition, Amanda Kessel's brother. Yeah, Yeah, I'm also one of those people that I've never been sold on the idea that the Arizona Coyotes are going to bounce back, because that's what everyone says every year, right? It's always... Which team do you think is going to make it? And it's always the the Coyotes that they're going to look, look out for there. Arizona. Yeah. And, you know, they are a team that has been doing a lot of the right things and they've made a lot of really smart moves and it never seems to pan out for them. So it's almost like like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like maybe I have like Stockholm syndrome or something where it's just like they like I want you to succeed. I really need you to do this. <laughs> And then they just, every time they fall apart, it comes the spring. It's and okay. Gary Bettman is also hoping the same things. Yeah, right. I really need this. Come on, guys. It's like, I need you to prove that this is the way we're supposed to do things, please. And every time they fall on their faces and I don't know what it is. So I, I refuse now. 
<laughs> to believe that they're going to do it until they can show me. <laughs> like, And I think this year is a little bit different in that they ended last year really, really strong. And so that is, uh, that was a good sign. That was, you know, a lot of people were talking like, you know, if it was just the last like 30 games or whatever the season that ca- the, the Coyotes would be in the playoffs essentially or at least they would be at a playoff pace and um so i think carrying that over into this this fall was not super surprising um i do i think the the castle trade was interesting in that galchenyuk i really expected to stay in arizona i I thought that they when they acquired him it was um going to be kind of a, a cornerstone of their their future roster building especially because he is much younger obviously than phil castle um but i i think phil castle is a really good fit in arizona and i also just appreciate that he scammed um <laughs> the the penguins <laughs> uh into sending him to arizona so i'm in full support of that <laughs> i uh, i became a huge phil fan i mean i you already had to really like castle after like what he put up with from the media in Toronto and then just going to uh, a spot in Pittsburgh where he's like in the exact perfect role on the depth chart for him to really succeed as a star, which is to, you know, have a center who can feed him the puck or be, you know, behind uh, an elite megastar, whether that's Crosby or Malkin. Uh, But I was sold on him even further to find out that, uh, he has a signed poster from Mariah Carey of glitter hanging in his basement. Uh, yeah. the, he downplayed the whole thing about his <laughs> his private movie theater having one seat in it. He's like, yeah, I never used the thing. It was my realtor who told me I needed to put a chair in there to make it look like someone had ever sat down. Okay, okay. So maybe you don't have any furniture down there, Phil. Maybe you've never watched a movie in the theater before, but... That is a personalized autograph on the glitter poster to Phil right. <laughs> from Mariah <laughs> so that, that I believe said something on it to the tune of, like, I'm happy to be the star of your favorite movie. That's the way oh she made God. out the autograph, yeah. which means whether or not it's true... At one time, at the very least, Phil Kessel probably told Mariah Carey that Glitter is his favorite movie. That's beautiful. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that, that means on the on the ice, Phil adding to some scoring punch to their forward group in Arizona. They already have a strong defense. They're probably getting it done by committee. A team that is not doing that, but is still somehow off to a surprising start in the West in fifth place in the conference with 12 points in 10 games, it is the Anaheim Ducks who are 6-4 and four entirely because John Gibson is the best goalie on the planet and there is no other reason for this team to have the record that it does. Yeah, Gibson is carrying that team on his back for a second year. And, uh, I, and it doesn't hurt that they have, you know, Ryan Miller backing him up. So goaltending is going to be reliable for them. They're um, basically icing... Uh, half of an AHL team, <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> their roster's in a little bit of flux and they're trying to integrate a lot of youth and um, it, it's going to be messy in Anaheim for a while, I think. Um, but they're, they're managing to do pretty well um, again, just because of John Gibson. And so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the Pacific settles down around them, I think, because they're kind of one of those teams where because of John Gibson and their really good goalie tandem that they it could 
kind of go either way. You know, they could end up in a wild card spot just because, you know, half the Pacific will end up deciding to to tank for some reason, <laughs> you know. Currently ahead of the Ducks, though, in the standings with 12 points in nine games, the Vancouver Canucks. And I'm not going <laughs> to say a whole lot about them right now because I talk about them for 20 minutes a day each and every day uh, over on Locked On Canucks. But I heard you talking trash about Vancouver, see, on the oh, Monday no. show. <laughs> And how they always do this every year. And I know that's what I said about Edmonton earlier. But I, I want your uh, your honest assessment. Because personally, I'm not fully on board with the Canucks being uh, necessarily playoff bound. But I do feel like this team is a lot better than it has been in years previous. Well, if you listen to Lockdown Sharks, you would know that I actually predicted that Vancouver would make playoffs this year. Well, so- then. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not completely down on the Canucks, but I will say they do have a habit of starting out strong and then just forgetting how to play hockey after like 15 games. So uh... I will say, though, what I will say to counter that is that last year's hot start was powered entirely by uh, just like Super Saiyan effort from Elias Pettersson right out the gate. His right. first 10 to 15 games in the league are essentially what won him the Calder Trophy. Like he could score at a relatively easier pace for the entirety of the rest of the season and still have the Calder in the bag just based on how strong he started the year. This year, it's been kind of a cold start for whether it's been Pedersen or Besser or even Horvat until he started scoring in bunches on this most recent road trip. The stars in Vancouver had really yet to take over games for them until Horvat did just that against Detroit earlier tonight as we record on a Tuesday. Um, but, you know, th- those guys will heat up eventually. They've been getting it done in terms of depth scoring, defensive scoring, and red-hot goaltending from either Jacob Markstrom or Thatcher Demko, whoever it happens to be on a given night. And for that reason, I do kind of feel like this year is different. So we will see. Yeah, I I feel like my my feelings on the Canucks are kind of the reverse of the uh, the Coyotes in that I you know I want the Coyotes to be rewarded for good behavior, and I'm still kind of mad about the transactions made at the beginning of the season with the Canucks. So I want them to be punished <laughs> for doing <laughs> that. So you know, <laughs> but yeah. I, I I'm always pulling for them just a little bit. So. Our first place team in the Western Conference, as we record this through nine games, they have a 7-1-1 one, and one record. It is the Colorado Avalanche. They are coming off of a loss at the hands of the St. Louis Blues, but the loss is bigger than just on the scoreboard because Miko Rantanen exited the game as well, and it seems like things are going to be pretty serious for him week to week at the very least. Does this team have the depth to overcome an injury like that? Because I'm kind of inclined to think they do, and I'm not sure if that's crazy to believe. No, I absolutely think they do. I think they added some big pieces this year, and adding Kadri, and um, they took my boy Jonas Donskoy, (laughs) (laughs) who I, I think is just absolutely going to thrive. He's already doing very well in Colorado. I think that their depth isn't going to be an issue. I mean, obviously losing Rantanen is going to be huge, but I think that they can hold it together well enough without him. And that's really all that they need. Um, they're they're going to be a powerhouse no matter what. They, the, the moves that they made this offseason have only strengthened that team. So I, I'm inclined to think that they're going to get through the loss of Rantanen pretty well couple other things to touch on here before we wrap up, and that is uh, 
The Vegas Golden Knights, who are currently in third place in the conference uh, with a 7-4 and four start to the season through their opening 11. And uh, the big story out of Vegas lately, obviously, see, is uh, Valentin Zikov. Uh, I think I said that right. Maybe it's Valentin, <laughs> regardless. Either way, I feel like this is, you know, obviously it's a big story because these sorts of uh, busts don't happen in the NHL all that often. But I think right. it's been overblown because, like, this guy doesn't really mean anything to the Golden Knights as far as depth purposes go. He's never really been a huge success at the NHL level. He's like uh, Nikolai Goldobin, one of those guys who <laughs> can light up the A but might not necessarily have enough to hack it in the NHL. And so, you know, this has been the big story around their team early in the season. At the same time, to me, it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, I think the the big storyline there for me is isn't so much how it's going to affect the Knights. Obviously, this is not going to be the kind of um, effect that the Nate Schmidt 20 game suspension had. I think there's what comes into question then becomes this is the second uh, this is the second suspension for performance enhancing drugs in two years in Vegas where there was already kind of the joke about you know having a team in Vegas that they were all going to to <laughs> fail all their drug tests and look where we are <laughs> and so it becomes a, a larger question of what is happening in Vegas and whether or not that's going to have any kind of ripple effect ac across the league as opposed to just how is that going to affect the the Knights lineup obviously they're very strong they've got depth scoring they'll be fine without him and I do think too that it raises the question of you know like did the Knights react in a you know such a positive affirming manner towards the NHL and the NHLPA's decision with Zykoff uh but, you know, with Nate Schmidt, they they were very against it. And it, does that dichotomy really only happen because of the fact that, like, Schmidt was such a key player for them? Or, you know, I, it's it's all just really kind of confusing to me. Yeah, but, there is also the bit about Zykov kind of uh, peddling two narratives uh, between what he said to the media and, uh, of course, what McPhee said was said to him privately. So yes. uh, that there's that level of organizational trust, I guess, that's been called into question there. Again, to me, this is not necessarily all that interesting. And like, like you said, this is still a very deep team. This is still a team that is probably one major penalty in the third period away from being the Western Conference's uh, Stanley Cup finalist two years in a row, but uh, I'm sure there's fans in plenty of markets in the Western Conference who would want to fight me for saying that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, this is going to, I'm more interested to see what they do on the ice going forward than, uh, you know, to see how this whole thing plays out. I guess there's a couple of extra storylines here that we could get into. We are running along, but it is, of course, the first show of the year, so there's all sorts of things to catch up on, see. Uh, what's the one thing that you want to talk about before we wrap up here? And I got one on my own as well. So the one thing we hadn't really touched on is Calgary. And they are right now sitting outside of a playoff position. They are um, tied with the Coyotes in points. And Arizona has a tiebreaker on that uh, because the Coyotes have only played eight games, whereas the Flames have played 11 and they only have 11 points. Um I, I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Lucic-Neal um, trade and 
that both teams got what they wanted out of it, which I think is just hilarious and awful. <laughs> like, because Milan Lucic is not doing anything other than punching fourth liners in the face. <laughs> Apparently that's what they wanted out of it. Uh, but He's added more penalty minutes, folks. <laughs> He's on penalty minute watch. That's what we're looking for. Uh, yeah. But I mean, at the, at the same time, as much as we make fun of them for that, I, it does make sense to me when, like, go back to what we just talked about James Neal some 20 minutes ago now. He looked like he did not want to be on that team. Right. His give-a-care factor as far as being an NHL player last year was tremendously low. So if you're the Calgary fans and you're watching a guy run around and throw his weight around, it probably does feel refreshing after what James Neal gave you last year on some level. I don't want to defend Calgary, but it has to be said a little bit right there. Yes. And I do think I will say that I think both players are better suited to the teams that they are on now currently that, that uh, I'm sure both players are are happy to be playing for the organizations that they are. And uh, you know, there's weight to that, but I don't know. I think, Calgary, I they're another team that I've never really bought into the last couple of years. They've been, you know, kind of fringe and then or they'll make playoffs and get eliminated in the first round. I have never particularly seen Calgary as a threat. And I think this year might be might be a little rough for them. Well, uh my big story as we wrap up here, the one that I've been looking forward to, I'm glad you brought up the Flames because this ties right into, uh, the, I guess, one of the bigger stories of their season at the moment. Obviously, the most fun feud, I think, in all of hockey right now, but also I might include professional wrestling in that category as well. It's one of the most <laughs> fun feuds going on in all of sports entertainment and sports entertainment. It is the Drew Doughty versus Matthew Kachuk feud, and I... Uh, surprisingly feel like Matthew Kachuk is the baby face in all of this. He should be <laughs> the heel. He should be the, uh, the poop disturber as it were, because that's his reputation. But I just, I find myself rooting against Dowdy in all of this. And it's probably because after the, he got spanked by the Canucks eight to two earlier this season, he spoke to the media and had this to say, this is a direct transcription as well. I mean, I ain't going to park it. It's just, it's just fucking, it's just embarrassing. It's just, I mean, a team like that should not be beating a team like ours 8-2. to two. There's actually no way. I know they had a lot of energy right off the bat because it's their home opener and they had their whole ordeal with a captain and whatever, but... Uh, yeah, there's, we had chances to come back and then we just gave up a goal right after we scored a goal. So it was a bad team effort by everyone on this team. I thought that quote, uh, made quite a splash here in Vancouver, as you could imagine, especially the, I mean, a team like that should not be beating a team like ours eight to two, because I'm sorry, Drew, a team like ours, what do you think your team is? <laughs> Did you not pay attention to the 82 games you played last season? Your team is bad. They were bad last year. They're going to be bad again. You're not competing like the Dallas Stars want to for the Stanley Cup seven years ago, bud. Come on, wake up. And if that quote wasn't bad enough, the LA media went and made it worse because it was transcribed on the fly by Blake Price of TSN Vancouver with as rather a team like that should not be beating us like that. 
which is not necessarily exactly what Dowdy said word for word and was met by the L.A. media. Lisa Dillman of The Athletic L.A. said, Blake, did he say that to you one-on-one? John Rosen, L.A. Kings insider, appears as though Dowdy was misquoted by someone who didn't speak with him. Quote then ends up getting aggregated from the aggregator to fuel a Dowdy versus everybody narrative. John Rosen went on to have a huge tantrum about this, about how it's unprofessional and not journalism to accidentally miss a word or change something within the structure of a sentence here and there. The actual Dowdy quote that I just read to you see is worse than the misquote from right. Blake Price. And yet they acted like, oh, everybody's reacting like crazy against this guy. He didn't even say that. It's the stupidest argument that I've ever seen a media put forward. I am I am in the business of transcribing quotes. When Travis Green hits the podium after Canucks games, I am the one who is putting out all the transcribed quotes on the Sportsnet 650 Twitter account. It's my job to type like that gif of uh, Criminal Minds where two hackers are typing on the same (laughs) keyboard at once. That's basically what I'm doing every time Travis Green hits the podium. And when you are doing that within the confines of Twitter, you have 280 characters. You have to pick and choose what makes it in and what doesn't. All you can do is make sure that what you put out there contains the actual idea of what was being said. And for them to get so picky about words like this, and, and drum up this fan contingent of L.A. Kings fans to say, this is not journalism, you've done a bad journalism. It's just like, it is not fake news to say that Drew Doughty had that kind of message in what he said after the game. This might have just been a big story in Vancouver, but I think it plays into the, the Doughty heel thing in general. And as a professional transcriber, I had to get that off my chest. Absolutely infuriating. Yeah, no, and uh, the calling his journalistic practices into question is so, like, that just grinds my gears because it's like, like, it's not, like, you're questioning someone's professionalism with something that everyone does. Everyone is tweeting out quotes um, after, you know, or during scrums, and you're you're not always going to get your transcriptions 100% accurate in the moment, but as long as you have the general thought and message and tone, right? Getting one or two words wrong is not bad journalism. Yeah, <laughs> it's not It's not the grounds to tell someone that they made something up. Like, yes. Get a grip. Yeah. So uh, the LA Kings, despite still being bad, are apparently my number one heel team in the Western <laughs> Conference at the moment. We'll see where they rank in the heel rankings next week. But uh, we've gone long. There were so many things to cover. Uh, see, I am so looking forward to doing this every week with you. And uh, I hope that people had a good time listening to it. Yeah, we'll be the giggliest podcast. <laughs> but it's in, all good. Yeah, and all of hockey media. And I'm perfectly... <laughs> Okay, with that, until next Wednesday, I guess you will hear me tomorrow for Interview Thursday right here on Locked On NHL. But it's C and I for Western Conference Wednesdays each and every week. Once again, I am Justin Morissette. And I've been C. Morley. And we are your Western Conference crew on the Locked On NHL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.